0: Well, as I said, we're beginning this new series in uh, the life of uh, Samson today, Judges chapter 13 uh, through 16, and today's message is called Just Simply Samson's Birth or Samson's Miraculous Birth. Uh, So as we think about this, uh, we just have to think about the the, the cycles that go on in the book of Judges and and what a bizarre uh, time period it is. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the definition of insanity, right? The definition of insanity uh, is to continue to do the same thing over and over again and to expect different results. Uh, and, and we see that in the book of Judges, but amazingly, we see it in our own world today. Uh, we do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. We've, we've forgotten God. Uh, we've kicked God out of the public square. Uh, we've removed him from the courthouses. We've, uh, we, we just don't make God a priority anymore. And, and today, most people do what is right in their own eyes, just like in the days of Judges. And we don't have to wonder about why the world is like it is today. It's like it is today because of sin, just like it was in the days of the Judges. And so the reason that I decided that I want to look at Samson's life is because Uh, Even though it happened over 3,000 years ago from present day, uh, there is so much relevant here because the world of the judges in many ways doesn't look a whole lot different from our world. Uh, The people uh, in the era of the judges rejected God uh, and they worshipped idols and they fell under God's judgment. And, And can we say Uh, that our world has not done the same. It's very similar. Uh, So we will see ourselves, I think, in Samson's story, and and we'll see our world uh, in the world of the judges. But we'll also see that God never changes. This is 3,000 plus years ago. We're going into the past, and what we see uh, is a holy God uh, who must judge and at the same time, a God of never-ending grace. Uh, And that's what he shows in the book of uh, Judges. So uh, before we jump into chapter 13, uh, we're gonna have to do a little bit of an intro to the book because we're jumping into the deep end here, uh, almost toward the end of the book. So I just want you to flip in your Bibles uh, to to Judges chapter one, if you have your Bibles with you, and uh, we'll just talk about uh, this, this world of the Judges for a minute. The period of Judges, Uh, is a very dark and complex time uh, in Israel's history. Uh, The first few chapters of Judges kind of overlap with uh, the book of Joshua uh, to a certain degree because uh, the book of Judges, the beginning, recounts uh, how Joshua allocated the land uh, and then Israel's uh, attempt to conquer uh, the promised land. Uh, The the land had been allocated in Joshua's time. There were 12 tribes. They each got a portion of the land. And now it was the the job of of these Israelites now to go in, to conquer the land, to take possession of the land that God had given them. And they started out well in Judges chapter 1, verse 1. They inquired of the Lord saying, who shall go up among us to take on uh, these Canaanites? And God told Judah, Judah, you go up, you conquer the Canaanites. Uh, And Judah went up, uh, taking uh, the tribe of Simeon with them, and together they conquered territories in the north and in the south, and and so far so good. But as time passed, uh, moral and spiritual decline set in in Israel, and then they were unable to drive the Canaanites out of the land. And as we begin looking at uh, chapter 1, look at chapter 1, verse 21, uh, we begin to see uh, this very familiar refrain. The sons of the Benjamites did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. Manasseh did not take possession of bet and its villages. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. Zebulun did not drive out the inheritance of Kitron. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Bet-Shemesh. And the Amorites forced Dan into the hill country. So what we have is God promised the land, Uh, the Israelites, all they're supposed to do is go in, conquer the land, but they either could not or would not do it because of their unfaithfulness. And so God rebuked the Israelites for their failure uh, to do, uh, to conquer the land. And in uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he's condemning them, rebuking them for not conquering them and for living among these patient pagan nations. And as we see uh, around uh, Judges chapter 2, verse 5 or so, uh, Joshua dies. And obviously he dies at the end of, of Joshua 2, and that's where we see the overlap here. But he's recounting that Joshua died and makes note of the fact that uh, although Joshua died, God did not appoint a leader to succeed Joshua as Moses had appointed Joshua to succeed him. And so by the time we get to Judges chapter 2, verse 10, uh, what happens? A generation has died out. There is no leader, and this is what we see. There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord and the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt and served other gods. Then the Lord's anger burned against Israel and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them and sold them into the hands of their enemies so they could no longer stand before their enemies. And so the Lord's hand was against them, we read, and and they were severely distressed. And as we come to verse 16 of chapter 2, then we begin to see uh, uh, this is a summary statement of what we're going to see in the book of Judges if we were to read it straight through these cycles of sin repentance and rescue. The Lord raises up a judge who delivers them and yet they did not listen to the judge but they play the harlot uh, and they worship other gods and bow themselves down before them. And then the Lord raises up a judge, and the Lord was with that judge. And when the judge was alive, uh, Israel prospered. But when the judge died, uh, well, then they reverted to their old ways and acted more corruptly than even before. And they served and worshipped other gods. In verse 20, uh, the Lord says, I will no longer deliver you from your enemies. He raised up their enemies to test them, To see whether they would follow the commandments. And this cycle happens over and over again and over and over again. Israel fails the test miserably. They take Canaanite women uh, as their wives. They worship foreign gods. They integrate themselves into uh, this pagan culture. Uh, And then this begins a series of cycles where God uh, hears the cries because they've fallen under oppression. He sends a deliverer Uh, God's deliverer rescues them and then the deliverer dies. They fall right back into sin again. And by the time we get to Samson's life, this cycle of sin, Uh, and falling into the hands of oppressors and praying for a rescuer and rescue and deliverance and then falling back into sin. That cycle has happened five times now uh, through 12 different judges. And so Samson is Israel's 13th judge and the final judge before Samuel. And what we see in his life is the sixth cycle now of Israel rejecting God and falling into sin and needing to be rescued again. The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Well, when we read Samson's story, let's remember that Samson is not an island, right? He's not just one person. He's representative of all of Israel. Uh, He falls into the same sin over and over again, over and over again, doing the same thing. Uh, he's only one man, though, but his, his struggles represent all of Israel and all of the struggles that Israel has, the, the, the problems, the sin that plagues him, plagues all of Israel. That's why they're in the situation they're in, because they are weak spiritually, and they're content to intermingle and live among the pagans, adopting their practices, worshiping their gods, and as Judges says over and over again, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's a recipe for disaster 3,000 years ago, just like it's a recipe for disaster today. So the book of Judges is a warning to each one of us individually to find our joy, our, our strength, our salvation in the Lord. And it's also a warning to us as a nation that God will judge any nation that refuses to bend the knee to him. Well, uh, Samson's life uh, is covered in the book, uh, chapters 13 to 16. But chapter 13 is really more about Samson's parents than Samson himself. Uh, So let's read about them first as we dive into the book. Now, the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And now you shall not drink wine or strong drink nor eat any unclean thing for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And so we see this repetition of of, of these commands. Uh, Don't eat any unclean thing. Don't drink wine or strong drink. The boy will be a Nazarite repeated a couple times. And whenever we see that, we know that that's important. And we will see uh, how important that is as uh, as the story goes on. So again, Israel does evil. After five cycles, this is the sixth cycle now, of sin and rescue, God is going to have to judge them again, and this time by the hands of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were a sea people who migrated uh, down to their area uh, as we look at it on the map. Uh, They're from the Aegean Sea area, which is up here, uh, the Aegean Sea, just east of Greece, and they migrated down to this area Uh, which, if I could show you the whole thing, this is Egypt down here. That's where they tried to go. Uh, But the Egyptians were victorious over them. They they kicked them out of the land and so they migrated further up. Whoa, 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 hang on. What happened there? Okay, so they migrated from Egypt up the coast and they landed in this area just in southwest of Jerusalem here. And so that's where they find themselves. Uh, And so they uh, are, they populate, they found and they populate these towns, which uh, figure into the story, Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Gaza along the coast, and Gath and Ekron, uh, a little bit more inland. Now in Judges 1.18, uh, we are told that uh, Judah had conquered those cities, but by Samson's time, more than 100 years later, 200 years later even, uh, the Philistines had retaken that land. And the Philistines had a major advantage over the Israelites, at least in terms of war materials. Uh, Judges 1.19 tells us that they had iron, iron chariots. Uh, The Israelites only had bronze and iron is much stronger than bronze. And so they were stronger militarily and materially than the Israelites were. And that helped them dominate uh, and to antagonize Israel for these 40 years. Now, as we think about Samson, Uh, We're told that Samson uh, ruled over Israel or judged Israel for 20 years. Now that would be the second half of these 40 years of of, uh, Philistine domination. The first 20 years, uh, Samson was being raised. Uh, So that is uh, the time frame that's going on here. So the Philistines have this major advantage, right? It's a material advantage. But the Israelites have an advantage over the Philistines, which is, anybody? God, yes. The Philistines have God on their side. Uh, I'm sorry. The Israelites have God on their side. That was a big misspeak. Uh, yeah, the the Israelites have God on their side, and of course that makes all the difference, even despite uh, Israel's sin. So, the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah in their hometown of Zorah. So let me show this to you. Uh, Zorah is right uh, here, right on the edge here of what became Philistine territory. This area here, the northern area of Judah. Uh, Judah had conquered, but now the Philistines are in this territory. And so you have Zorah right here, right on the edge of where the Philistine territory turns out to be. And so we're told in the text that they were Danites. Manoah was a Danite. That means he was from the tribe of Dan, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And you can see on the map there that that is the area that Dan was supposed to conquer. But as I read earlier, the Amorites forced the Danites into the hill country. Now the hill country is east of uh, Jerusalem, uh, east of Dan. So it's in this area and then further up north, you can see it a little bit on the map here, not a great topographical map, but the hill country is east and it's north and that's where many of the Danites went to. But some of the Israelites stayed and I think Manoah and his wife, obviously, uh, they stayed in the land while most of their tribe left. And I think that's the first evidence that we see of Manoah's faith. Uh, This land was given to them and they did not leave with the rest of their tribe. They stayed where God gave them that land. And so the disadvantage of that, of course, is that living in such close proximity to the Philistines meant that those who stayed, them and those who stayed, uh, were uh, very close to Philistine culture and uh, their religions and their rituals. And so uh, it's probably uh, a fact that most of the people who stayed in that area had adopted Philistine practices and culture. And Manoah and his wife, uh, they appear to be very faithful in uh, this chapter as we read uh, through. So uh, perhaps that's why God chose them, because they were faithful. We can't We can't always know why God chooses somebody. God chose Jonah as well, and he was not very faithful. So uh, we don't know why God chose specifically Manoah and his wife, but they did turn out to be faithful among an unfaithful people, and God chose them. And I think we'll see that their faith is evident throughout the story. So what we see is that three events happen immediately, and they're extraordinary events. First, the angel of the Lord appears to them. That's an extraordinary event that doesn't happen every day. Secondly, uh, they, the, the angel of the Lord says that, he's go, that she's going to give birth to a son, even though she's barren. Now, that's not unique uh, to Manoah's wife. We see that, of course, with Sarah and Rebecca and Hannah and Elizabeth also in the Bible, but still not an everyday occurrence. And then the uh, third thing is that there is this promise that the, the son is going to, to be raised and he's going to begin to deliver Israel from these Philistines. And so, We see that that God has a plan for this boy's life. He's got a purpose for this boy's life, and he's also got a plan for Israel. So the angel of the Lord instructs Manoah not to eat anything unclean. Don't drink any uh, wine or strong drink. Uh, And as for the boy, no razor was to touch his head because he was to be a Nazarite from the womb. Now, the word Nazarite means to be separated, to be dedicated, to be consecrated uh, to God. And uh, the Nazarite vow is something that we find all the way back in Numbers chapter six. And what it was was that if somebody felt uh, uh, the desire to specially dedicate himself or herself to the Lord for a specific period of time, usually a short period of time, he would take this Nazarite vow where he says, no no razor will touch my head, uh, no strong drink, I will not touch anything or eat anything unclean or uh, touch uh, dead bodies. And that was typically for a period of time. It might be a couple weeks, a couple months, whatever it might be. But it wasn't something that would last for somebody's entire life. But in in Samson's case, uh, he would be under the vow for his entire life. And as I said, when you take the Nazarite vow, that's a voluntary thing. But for Samson, it was not voluntary. God uh, put him under this vow and made the decision for him. And so we'll see in Samson's story how obedience to the Nazarite vow uh, is, goes hand in hand with, with success and blessing. Uh, And there are times when Samson got it right. I mean, he's he's a tragic figure for sure. But there are a couple times in the story where Samson gets it right. And when he's obeying and praying, he's receiving God's blessing. But when he disobeys and chases after human desires and and chases after pagan women and relies on his own strength, well, then he suffered God's punishment. And so the Nazarite vow is central to the story. It's intertwined with everything that happens here, uh, as we'll see. Well... Manoah's wife meets the Lord, and after that happens, well, she reported to her husband everything that had happened. And so now Manoah wants in on the action, right? And so that's what we'll see uh, in these next verses. Manoah then gets to meet the angel of the Lord in verses 8 to 14. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again so that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of the Lord came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said to him, are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now, when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I have commanded. Now, As a father and as a husband and as the head of the household, I think I would have uh, understood Manoah and I understand Manoah, where he's coming from. Uh, I can empathize with him. I would be upset that the angel of the Lord came to my wife uh, without coming to me and and giving me uh, these same commandments. So uh, Manoah, in faith, prays to God, uh, Lord, please send this man again so that I may hear from him. Uh, And so I may hear from the man of God. And I think, again, this is more evidence of his faith. He seemed desperate to want to hear from the Lord himself uh, and to meet this man. And he also begged God, please uh, teach us how to raise our son so that he will live according to your will. And so God answers Manoah's prayer and he sends the angel of the Lord again to his wife, again, without him being present. Uh, but though this time, though the angel uh, stuck around long enough to meet Manoah and at least let Manoah uh, ask his questions. So Manoah immediately comes up to him and says, "Are, are you the man of God?" Re- repeatedly, uh, this term "man" is used, right? As they're trying to figure out who this uh, strange visitor is, uh, and the angel confirms that it that he is uh, the 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 one that God sent, and Manoah again believed. He says when these things come to pass, not if these things come to pass, or how will I know that these things are going to come to pass. He he never questioned whether they would happen. Uh, He wanted to know things like, uh, what should we do? How should we raise this boy? Where should we send him to school? What should we do different from the other parents who don't have this special anointing? What job training is there for somebody who is going to begin to deliver us from the hands of the Philistines? And uh, as a father, I would ask the same questions. These are the things that I would want to know. Uh, and he, you, we can see in Manoah that he wanted to raise the boy God's way. But what we also see is that God doesn't always answer all the questions that we have, does he? Uh, God often leaves so many questions unanswered because he asks us to live by faith, to live by faith. And so Manoah gets no new information from the angel of the Lord, does he? He's got all his questions, he wants to ask them these questions, and, and what does the angel say? Just do what I told your wife. That's it. That's that's all the information you get. And I'm sure that was really hard for Manoah. I'm sure he wanted more details. He wanted to be a good and faithful father. He wanted to raise this boy up according to God's will. And instead, the angel only said, have the woman pay attention and observe all that I commanded. Well, the essence of faith is to obey even when we don't understand, right? Even when we don't have all the answers. And there was so much that Manoah would have liked to have answered and his wife as well. And so many things that they didn't understand, but they would have to walk by faith. They would have to trust God with this message and with this boy, Uh, Day by day. And that's what faith is. God doesn't always, uh, or often for that matter, uh, light up the whole path before us, right? He doesn't often do that. He gives us enough light for our feet and He tells us, take that step and then I will light the next step and then I will light the next step. Because often, if He lit up the whole path for us, we would not have the courage to go on. We have to take one step at a time in faith. He gives us enough light for our feet and then He asks us to trust him with the next step. And so Manoah had to be content with the information that he had because that's all that he was going to get. Now thinking about faith, uh, we look at this uh, and and apply it to our world today. Uh, When we think about the kind of faith that's required to walk in the world today, we can look around us and we can certainly uh, understand why people uh, would would, uh, have their faith shaken a little bit if they're Christians. Uh, because of just the things we're seeing in the world, uh, God asks us, you know, don't look around, look up, look at me, trust in me. Uh, but when we look around, what do we see? Uh, we, we've seen this week in Afghanistan uh, the withdrawal of the United States uh, army completely, uh, and the Taliban taking over like immediately, overnight uh, they took over there, and we know for certain that they are going door to door and they're 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 asking. Uh, If they're Christians and they're demanding their phones from them, and if they find the Bible app on their phone, they're killing them on the spot. And we know that we have Americans trapped behind enemy lines and are having difficulty getting out. And that's a very terrifying thing. And I fear for the women and children uh, in Afghanistan who are going to fall under a Sharia law again uh, and what that might mean for them. So there are a lot of people in grave danger in Afghanistan. That's one thing that happened in this week. Haiti suffered another massive earthquake, 2,000 people dead, and then a tropical storm comes in right on top of that, uh, making rescue efforts even more difficult. Uh, We have unprecedented numbers of people crossing our border, many of them probably with COVID. Others are terrorists sneaking in with the the people who are actually coming for shelter from the difficulties uh, that they're facing in their own countries. These are a lot of reasons where we could look around and, and, and our faith could, could suffer damage. But the essence of faith is to trust God in our current situation, no matter what is going on in the world, because as bad as things are, God is still sovereign, right? We know that. We understand that. We believe that. And God is not surprised by anything. He's not uninvolved, nor is he impotent. God uses all things, even sin, to accomplish his will, and all things are tools in his hands. So our response should be to trust and obey, because that's what the essence of faith is. And and Manoah, in his story, seemed very much prepared to do that. Uh, He wanted more information from this strange visitor. Uh, the visitor seemed like he wasn't going to give him much more information. So Manoah does what I would have done. Why don't you stick around for dinner and see if he could squeeze him for a little more information. That's probably what he wanted to do. So Manoah offers an invitation to dinner verses 15 to 20. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. And he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. So Manoah shows the hospitality that's expected in uh, his culture. He invites the angel to dinner. Uh, probably looking to spend more time with him, trying to get more information out of him. Uh, But the angel's response, I'm sure, caught him completely off guard. It would be an affront uh, to refuse the dinner uh, and to say, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat your food. Uh, That would be considered quite rude in his culture. Uh, But the angel uh, says, I will stay while you prepare this. And if you want to do this, that's fine. Just offer it as a burnt offering to the Lord. And so Manoah is probably starting to get the feeling that, well, maybe this is a little bit more than a man of God. Maybe I am in the presence of supernatural. Uh, hard to know. He doesn't know exactly what he's, uh, who he's with. And so he asks, what is your name? Uh, as though that would reveal something to him. And so the angel replies, why do you ask seeing that it is wonderful? There's mystery in that. We don't know exactly what is meant by that. Uh, Jacob remember when he wrestled with God asked for his name uh, and God would not tell him his name Uh, Moses asked for God's name uh, and the response that he got is my name is I am all right so there is mystery uh, in these things and I think the intent of the question really is not what is your name like you know Tom Dick or Harry it's who are you who are you? Whose presence am I standing in right now? And so he's trying to figure out who this man of God is, only only now getting the inkling that he's in the presence of supernatural being. And again, he says, when these things come to pass, not if these things come to pass, uh, so that we may honor you. And so again, more evidence of faith. And then even more evidence of the faith is that uh, he's not offended by the, by the lack of, of, uh, of eating the meal. He offers the burnt offering on the rock, which, of course, was not practiced among the Philistines to, to offer offerings to the Lord. Uh, but Manoah does that. And so in response, God does yet another wonder. In addition to <clears throat> sending the angel of the Lord and promising this miraculous birth, uh, now the angel of the Lord ascends into the flames with the burnt offering. Now just try to imagine yourself in Manoah and his wife's shoes, right? They're standing there with this angel of the Lord. They're they're preparing this burnt offering and uh, they fully expect that the burnt offering is going to be offered up and the angel of the Lord is going to be standing there after it's over, right? But no, the angel of the Lord disappears into the smoke and ascends into heaven. And so I can just imagine these two staring at each other with their mouths open wide, like, what did we just see? What in the world just happened here? And so that is what uh, they are dealing with. And so uh, they, they can, you can imagine they're asking, who was that? Who was that mysterious man? And, Of course, we ask the question, too, who was that mysterious man? And he's called the angel of the Lord. And and oftentimes in the Old Testament, when we hear the angel of the Lord, that is a pre-incarnate vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call that a theophany, a vision of God. Sometimes uh, we hear that it is an angel of God. uh, And that might not necessarily be the pre-incarnate Christ, but an angel of the Lord. So here we have the angel of the Lord Uh, And most scholars think that this is a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, We can't be sure, but but whether he was or was not, we certainly know from the text that Manoah and his wife thought that they were in the presence of God. They thought they had seen God himself, and that's why they fell on their faces in reverence and worship and awe. So let's uh, look at their reaction and Samson's birth, verses 21 to 25. Now, the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, we will surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear these things at this time. And then uh, then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Mahana Den between Zorah and Eshtaol. We understand Manoah's reaction. Uh, God told Moses that no man can see my face and live. And so surely uh, Manoah knew that. And so he panicked and he says, we're going to die, right? He's certain that they're going to die. But notice his wife's faith. Manoah has shown strong faith throughout this passage, but his wife's faith is even stronger. Uh, She has to remind him through logic, uh, Manoah, think about this for a second. If the angel of the Lord was gonna kill us, he would not have appeared to me the first time and let me live. He wouldn't appear to us the second time. He wouldn't uh, make the promise that he promised to how can we fulfill a promise to have birth to a child if he kills us. And he would not have accepted our burnt offering. So uh, she's got a whole lot of faith, and she helps Manoah to overcome uh, his fear and panic. Now, uh, this Manoah's wife, uh, she's quite a phenomenal woman, isn't she? I mean, I wish that she had a name that that is given to us in the Bible. It's sad to me that we only know her as Manoah's wife or Mrs. Manoah. She's a woman of, of incredible faith that we see throughout this passage. And she gives birth to this boy called Samson. And she named him uh, according uh, to to her desires to name him Samson, to be obedient. And God blessed the boy and over the next 20 years uh, stirred in him. And so as Samson is growing up, uh, he's he's got the Holy Spirit stirring in him. Uh, And he lives in a place called Mahana Dan, which means uh, the camp of Dan. Which would be between these two cities of Zora and Eshtaol, right here. Uh, that's where Samson is going to end up being buried at the end of the story. Well, for Manoah and his wife, meeting God was a life changer, right? And for, for all of us, meeting God is a life changer. We've been saved by the grace of God. And uh, they were going to be promised a deliverer by the grace of God. <clears throat> and I think about the parallels as I read this story uh, between uh, Manoah's wife and Mary, it's, it's hard to miss the parallels. Uh, we have uh, a lot of parallels between Samson's birth and Jesus's birth and Mary's uh, faith and Manoah's wife's faith. Uh, We have birth, both of these births are uh, impossible by human means, right? Uh, Manoah's wife is barren. Uh, Mary is a virgin. Uh, Both mothers have this encounter uh, with a supernatural being. In Mary's case, it's Gabriel. Here, it's the angel of the Lord. Both mothers respond in faith and both wanted to raise their son according to God's will. Now, the big difference, of course, is that uh, Manoah's wife gave birth to Samson, a sinful, prideful, arrogant human being, while Mary gave birth to God. Now, I'm sure that Samson's parents caused him quite a bit of heartache as he grew up, and we'll begin to see that uh, next week. Uh, But they show their faith by raising him as a Nazarite and trying to keep him on the path and doing their best to, to get their arrogant son to follow God. And we'll begin to look at Samson's character next week uh, after the 20 years have passed between uh, chapter one and chapter two where Samson is now uh, grown up as we'll see next week. So that is the story of the faith of Manoah and his wife. Uh, And so let's just think about a couple of applications from their life as we close. And the first one is that faith means trusting God and that's what they were asked to do. Manoah and his wife lived during some of the darkest days that Israel has ever seen under Philistine oppression while their fellow Israelites had bailed and run for the hill country and even the ones who remained had probably intermingled and were not walking with the Lord and yet Manoah and his wife were were faithful trusting God and what they believed and and what we believe as Christians today is that God still intervenes uh, for his people Uh, That's why he repeatedly sent judges to them. That's why you and I pray for the Lord's intervention in the events of today. Our world looks a lot like the world of the judges spiritually today. Uh, People have rejected God, right? Does that happen in our world today? Of course it does. Uh, People are doing what is right in their own eyes. They're leaving the church. We have this a new worldview called postmodernism that rejects God and rejects any form of absolute truth. So it rejects everything uh, in the Bible. Uh, and of course, uh, we see around us that evil is triumphing over good. And so we, as people of faith, have to remember that God is sovereign over all of this and not to uh, get ourselves worked up, but to live by faith. The people of the era of the judges had no right to expect God to deliver them after these cycles of sin over and over and over again. And still, uh, God is faithful to deliver them. And we might ask the same thing. Do we have any right to ask God to deliver us from the evil that has been mostly our cause, right? It's caused by sin. Well, what the book of Judges tells us is that we can ask and that God will answer. And so we continue to pray. God has a purpose in all he allows. The question for us is, will God find us faithful? Manoah and his wife were faithful. They lived out their faith among a faithless people, and God blessed them with a deliverer. So are we faithful? Even though things look very bleak in our country right now, uh, we have to remember that God has a plan. God is sovereign. He has not left his throne. He still rules and he still will use these circumstances and even sin to serve his purposes. And he wants us to be people of faith. No matter what God allows, he wants us to trust and obey. And so in light of that, uh, secondly, uh, it means that we should fear not. Uh, For us believers, we have no reason to fear because we have trusted in the Lord Jesus as our Savior. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. And when we trust him for our salvation, we know that nothing can ever separate us from the love of Christ. So as we think about these Christians in Afghanistan now, uh, what courage these people have to have You know that every Afghan citizen has to carry an ID card that has their religious affiliation on it. And some of them in recent years have actually changed their religious affiliation on their ID card to Christian in Afghanistan, right? That sounds like utter madness. It's like you're almost asking for trouble. Uh, and perhaps they were in less danger while the U.S. occupied Afghanistan, but now that the Taliban is back in control, well, these—they know where these Christians are, uh, and they are going to seek them out, and they're going to kill them if they can. And so, uh, it's, it takes incredible amount of faith to do what they did, and we need to pray for them. They are Christians living among pagans, just like we are, just like Manoah and his wife were, and they're willing to die for their faith if necessary. And that's what living by faith means. Now, if you and I abandon our faith every time we come across something difficult in life, well, that shows that our faith is not real. Uh, Faith acts uh, in trusting God as uh, we go forward, even when uh, things seem out of control to us. And so we have to face our culture uh, that hates Christianity, and we have to face it without fear, living by faith. We can't be intimidated because we live among the pagans. We know that they can't touch us, right? No matter what they do to us, they cannot touch us. No matter what they do to us, even if they kill us, we know that we will never be separated from the love of Christ. Now, just one more thing, the object of our hope. You know, Manoah and his wife must have had great hope because of this supernatural appearance to them and this promise of a son who would deliver them or begin to deliver them from the hands of the Philistines. And I understand uh, that they had great hope uh, because uh, they had this visitation from the angel of the Lord. He would begin to deliver them. But this is a human deliverer, right? A human sinful deliverer. And whenever we place our hopes in humanity, uh, we are bound to be disappointed because humanity will always sin. Humanity will always disappoint. And any deliverance that we get from humans is going to be earthly and it's going to be temporary. Now, our hope is completely different than that because our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is heavenly. It's permanent and it's eternal. It's a hope that can never fail because it is based on the truth of God's promises and God's character. So our hope is not in men or in the government. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. So be sure that you've placed your trust in him because he will never fail us. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you uh, for the lessons that we will learn in this book. I thank you for the example of Manoah and his wife. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would follow that example as we are living in a faithless world as well. Lord, give us the strength to walk in your promises. Uh, Lord, help us uh, to trust you, to walk in faith step by step, trusting you to light up the path as much as we need for the day. And let that be enough for us, Lord. Lord, help us to continue to, to hold on to the promises uh, that you made and hold on to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let us not look down or around. Let us continue to look up to you. And may we walk in faith, Lord, and trust and love for you. And may we spread the word of Christ to those who so desperately need it in this world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.